Hello, and welcome to Fresh Fusion, a weekly show where we discuss the business, the art, the ethics of content creation on the open web. My name is Jared White, and this is episode 69, When Your World as a Content Creator Falls Apart. This is going to be a very difficult episode. Uh, There's some challenging topics that I need to cover that have affected me on a pretty deep level. Uh, So uh, just as a content warning, um, you know, if you find yourself triggered at any point because of these sensitive issues, please feel free to switch off this podcast and take care of yourself. And I'll include some resources in the show notes. So uh, yeah, it's, it's, um, you know, this isn't the kind of episode I... (laughs) I would like to record. I would like to talk about more fun and exciting things. But um, the last couple weeks for me have just been really, really awful. <laughs> uh, and, and it's things that are affecting lots and lots of people right now in, in several different communities <laughs> that I happen to be a part of as a content creator. So um, let's just uh, let's just dive into it. Uh, and you know, hopefully, hopefully we can, we can find some, some, something to hold on to that is helpful to us as we, as we work through these challenges. So the first thing is, um, I do not own a van, but I have been very interested in van life, hashtag van life for a while now. Uh, kind of stumbled into this whole community of YouTubers who travel around in their vans, like converted sprinters and and these other sort of you know vehicles that are they don't they don't just come to you like RVs. They don't come to you you know decked out as a, as a home to live in. But these people do all these cool DIY projects and build out these vans to be living spaces and then travel around. And it's a really interesting scene. Uh, obviously, you know, since the pandemic started, uh, it's been it's been a real <laughs> issue to travel around. So some of the van life people have, you know, had to find a home base somewhere and do some different things. But, um, you know, prior to the pandemic starting, the the whole hashtag van life movement was really quite interesting to me and exciting. And um, I, a channel that I found that I particularly enjoyed was the Eamon and Beck channel. If you just go to YouTube and search Eamon and Beck, E-A-M-O-N and Beck, B-E-C. Uh, it's a couple from Canada and... Um, they were traveling all around the world, uh, most recently in Morocco, before the pandemic hit, um, and just you know having having these all these cool adventures, and they are really neat people. And fun fact: there was actually a uh, a van life meetup a couple years back, uh, maybe three years now. Yeah, I want to say three years now, in Portland, uh, and I actually went. <laughs> I'd only been following this whole scene for a few months, um, but I went to the Van Life uh, meetup and and got to meet Eamon and Beck, along with some other folks, including people I didn't even realize had huge YouTube channels until afterward. Um, but it was great, and you know the, the vibe was so neat because you know you, you watch these videos on YouTube where people are traveling around and hanging out, and they seem really cool and they seem really fun and chill, and you're like, you know, is this what it's really like, or <laughs> are they, you know, putting on just you know show for YouTube? Uh, but just hanging out with these people at a park in Portland, like you know, yeah, there were some cameras around, but it was you know hardly anything more than cell phones and stuff. Like basically, they're just 
average Joes and Janes hanging out there. And uh, it was great. I had a, a blast. I got to meet some folks. I got to... Uh, <laughs> I got to eat hot sauce by one of the one of the, the van lifers there, and uh, yeah, it was great. Um, so uh, yeah, it's just this is just this really neat community that I've mainly just followed on YouTube, and you know, I, I still don't even know if I'll ever get into van life myself. Uh, I, I don't really have any DIY skills, so it makes it a little more challenging. But uh, it's just it's a fun scene. It's a fun scene, you know. I, I like watching the videos of these folks, but. Uh, something just absolutely horrible, just tragic and, and really upsetting happened um, uh, just a couple weeks ago. Uh, so uh, Eamon and Beck had been posting videos about their, uh, their cabin that they've been remodeling in Canada since they, you know, stopped doing van life travel for a while there. Uh, so they are posting every single week, every Sunday? Yeah, I guess Sunday. Um, you know, very, very, very professional and consistent creators. So, you know, so I was used to seeing a new video of theirs every weekend. And then suddenly the video stopped. And I was like, well, you know, they must be taking a break or something. I I guess they're fine. And then another weekend went by and I was like, huh, that's weird. I wonder what's up with Eamon and Beck. And then another weekend went by and I'm like, okay, <laughs> I'm starting to get nervous here because, like, these people are pros and they have this very active YouTube channel. I mean, they get hundreds and uh, hundreds of thousands of views every video. So it's weird to just go silent like this for so long. And then April 25th, a video comes out for Lee. And I see that title and I'm like, oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> what is happening? Uh, because Lee uh, was uh, someone that had featured prominently in their videos before. Uh, she was, um, you know, a, a, once a van lifer herself, and then she went through a, a pretty difficult breakup with her boyfriend. And so, you know, their van life channel they'd had together, the Max and Lee channel, um, you know, she had to... Uh, kind of walk away from that and it was really challenging for her but um but she'd become really good friends with Damon and Beck and and uh, she was actually employed by their company that they had uh, a chai manufacturer in Canada um so you know so even though this is you know this has been the Eamon and Beck channel in some ways it was the Eamon Beck and Lee channel for a while uh, so, you know, I was just, I was used to seeing her popping in and out and, you know, she was interviewed by them on their podcast not too long ago about some of the struggles she'd had with mental health and, and, you know, just r the really difficult breakup that she'd gone through and, you know, it, it being sort of this public figure on YouTube while navigating through, you know, <laughs> a breakup and, you know, do you even want to be a van lifer anymore and all this stuff. So it was really hard for her. So, so I see this video come out um, back on April 25th, and I see the title for Lee, and my heart just sank. And yes, it it it, it turned out that my worst fears was were confirmed, and uh, she she took her life. So, I I couldn't even get through the video at first. Like I, I watched it a few minutes at a time over the next several days. Uh, it was just it was just so upsetting. To me and and I I hadn't personally met Lee. She wasn't one of the people that was at that original van life meetup, so I only knew her through YouTube. But um, of course, 
saying knew her, knew of her. <laughs> I only knew of her through YouTube. But, you know, you feel kind of feel like you know these people, right? You, you watch these people like on a weekly basis or whatever on YouTube and you see their adventures and the things they're doing. And you kind of, you kind of feel like you know them somehow, like they're your, they're your pals in, on some level. Um, you know, same thing with podcasters. If you follow a podcaster for a long time, you know, you start to feel like you know them somehow, like, you know, like, like it's almost surprising if you meet them in real life and they have no idea who you are and you're like, you know, you have to explain who you are, right? <laughs> it's almost a strange thing because it's like, you don't know who I am. <laughs> I know who you are. Um, so anyway, so just uh, this video was was such a gut punch to me. And, you know, I've, I, you know, I've been through situations, obviously, where, you know, a, a quote unquote celebrity passes away or, you know, something happens, uh, you know, tragic or, or, you know, old age or whatever the circumstances might be. But um, it's hard for me to think of any other, um, you know, any other time, any other person uh, that uh, has affected me on such a deep level. Um, maybe when uh, maybe when Edgar Froese of Tangerine Dream passed away a few years back, um, but you know he he was quite old and and it was you know he he died of old age. So you know you hear of that kind of thing happening and yeah it's it's sad and and you you know you you have to deal with that. But um, you know this just feels like oh my gosh oh my gosh, and I I'm going to be really honest with you. It wasn't just that I felt sad. I, I kind of felt angry, you know. You, 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 you. Something like this happens, and there's a part of you that's like, you know, I'm angry that you made this decision that, you know, just affects everyone suddenly like this. Uh, you know, obviously, like, <laughs> it, it's it's silly of me to, you know, intellectually verbalize that. Uh, you know, there's, I have no right to be angry at all, but, uh, that's just, that's how I felt. But, um, you know, I kind of get, got, I got past that and, and now it's just, you know, it's just very sad and yeah, uh, you know, but you know, for me, like, you know, I have to get on with life and get my work done and take care of my kids and all the other things. But for Amy and Beck, you know, they, they had to stop posting for literally weeks on their, on their YouTube channel, uh, because, uh, of, you know, how incredibly affected they were by this. So, you know, uh, this, this was really kind of weighing on me over the, over the past, uh, I don't know what it's been week and a half now uh, since since I heard the news, and then something else happened, which has just completely devastated me. Uh, I it, it was like I literally had to. <laughs> I'm recording this on Monday, uh, so yesterday on Sunday I literally had to go out to the wilderness and just hike around in the woods for a few hours to sort of regain my sanity. Uh, so, ah, <laughs> uh, here's what happened. On Monday, so a week ago, uh, Monday last week, uh, the founders of Basecamp, Jason Fried and David Hennemeyer Hansen, um, posted on their official blogs that they were making a bunch of policy changes at Basecamp. Now, if you don't know what Basecamp or who Basecamp is, uh, Basecamp's a company, it's also a product. 
the, the Basecamp product is project management software. It's used by a lot of, uh, you know, designers, developers, agencies, small businesses. Uh, you know, it's, you know, pretty popular. And, and Basecamp uh, originally was, was named 37 Signals, and, and they've been around a while, you know. They, they kind of kicked off the whole software as a service thing. I remember when they first came out, the initial version of Basecamp, and it was this, you know, site that you go to and you pay a monthly or yearly fee to, in order to use this software on a website. And I remember at the time thinking, gosh, that's weird. <laughs> There's not something to download and install on your own server. I have, I have to rent the software from them and use it on their site. That's weird. So they, they were one of the early pioneers of the software as a service thing. And not only that, but they had originally started out as a web design agency themselves. So um, because of the success of Basecamp, the product, they pivoted the company from being a service company to being a product company. And that itself ended up being hugely influential. You know, there's been a whole generation of designer developer types who, um, you know, started out working freelance for clients, developed some software and pivoted to just making that software and and selling it. Uh, So you know, it's it's been a model that a lot of people have aspired to. <laughs> I've tried to do that myself. <laughs> it did not succeed, but uh, yeah. So um, yeah. So I've I've been aware of and admired Thirty Seven Signals, aka Basecamp, for quite a long time. But not only that, uh, David Hanemeyer Hansen, uh, everyone calls him DHH. Uh, DHH just so happens to be (laughs) the creator of Ruby on Rails, which is a very popular web framework and for a while was was hot stuff among the startup crowd. Um, So just, just DHH's influence through Rails alone has been hugely influential on me. I mean, I can trace my current career as a software developer directly to the moment I first tried out Rails and decided that, uh, uh, you know, it was something that I wanted to, um, to you know, to learn and adopt and, and really kind of, you know, base my career on uh, at that time. So... Just between between the influence of Basecamp, the company, and Rails as a software project, as an open source platform for developers to use, um, just huge influence for me in my life. So then, these announcements come out last week, and I, I take a quick look at them, and I just immediately know, like I, it's immediately apparent to me that. Oh my gosh, this is a huge, huge can of worms that they've opened here. Like, how can they not know? Like, who's in charge of PR? <laughs> who's in charge of marketing? Like, who, uh, who you know, gave their thumbs up for these uh, founders to, to just post this stuff on their blog? Like, ev- even if I don't disagree with any particular point that they mention here, like, just the optics alone are really bad. Uh, and so, you know, so I tweeted something to that effect. Like, it doesn't matter if I agree with their decision or not. Like, I, that's not even the point here. The point, as I see it, is the optics are terrible. And, you know, what are they thinking? So, you know, I, I kind of figured, like, you know, after those initial announcements that, you know, I figured they'd get, you know, tons of, of pushback. Uh, you know, they'd get a whole bunch of angry 
tech Twitter folks uh, all up in their grill and, you know, they'd have to sort of do some wishy-washy backpedaling thing of like, oh, you know, we we didn't realize the extent to which this would be affecting people. And, and we'll, you know, we'll take a closer look and evaluate what our position is on this. And, you know, maybe we'll take some reflecting or whatever. Like, I, I figured they'd do at least something, at least something to diffuse the situation and kind of get everyone's tempers to go down. And maybe in the end, they wouldn't actually budge all that much, but they, at least they'd pretend, you know, <laughs> at least pretend to be like saying something like, huh, we kind of screwed up on this. Uh, sorry, everybody. But instead, they doubled down. Like, they publicly doubled down and, and almost made it this weird kind of like, you know, this is what you do when you have to make difficult decisions. You make the decisions and you live with them and then you move on and that's how it goes. And you have to have some kind of stoic philosophy behind your back to not let it get you down. And like, it was this like weird thought leader, leadership sort of uh, approach to the messaging. And so, I, so I'm, you know, I'm seeing this unfold and like literally it got so bad that Basecamp became trending on Twitter and you, you saw major news outlets reporting on this stuff. And, and then it all of a sudden like became like, like Basecamp became synonymous with the culture wars in America <laughs> and beyond and, you know, politics and white supremacy. And it just, oh my gosh, like I, I, I literally could not believe what was unfolding in front of me. I, I just, you know, for a while, I was just kind of in disbelief that, that like, how can this happen? So as, as this past week uh, was, was, you know, rolling along, you started getting actual reporting of what was really happening behind the scenes. Um, I forget exactly when the reporting started. It might have been Wednesday. But, um, you know, you start hearing like, oh, okay, here's what was really going on behind the scenes at Basecamp to to result in these weird public decrees all of a sudden. It turned out there was like all this bizarre stuff like they they had basically a, a committee a dei committee which stands for diversity uh equity diversity something and inclusion i'm sorry i'm blanking on what the e stands for uh, I, equality i guess diversity equality and e inclusion something like this anyway they had like a like a committee kind of that had formed uh for for this dei effort and this is something that's happened at a lot of companies lately like it's, this isn't just a base camp thing um, but anyway, this group apparently had identified that there had been a list floating around for years that hadn't fully been purged from the ranks of the of the communication there internally at Basecamp. Uh, there had been this list floating around of funny sounding customer names. Now, I, I didn't I didn't read what was on the list. Uh, I, I think at least some of it got leaked, but I, I didn't go look at it specifically. But you know, it was the kind of stuff where if you know if somebody's name sounds funny, like you know, you can make a, a funny joke out of their name. Uh, it was on this list, and um, you know, I, I I started reading about that and. Oh boy, that that really started to that really started to uh, uh, up the blood pressure here because uh, you know uh, at, at first glance you you would look at me and my name Jared White. <laughs> yes, I have a last name that's literally White. So you you know, look at that, and at first glance it seems like you know, well I you know I I could be the poster boy for white supremacy here because my name's literally White, <laughs> but. You know, my grandfather was Jewish, and he he changed his name 
he 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 changed his name. He became Jules Fielding, but he was originally born Jules Finkelstein. He was a Finkelstein, and he changed his name from Finkelstein to Fielding because he thought Finkelstein was. Yeah, and I don't know if anything had literally happened to make him think this, or it was just a perception that he had. But he he didn't think he could get very far in life. You know, he didn't think he could professionally succeed the way he wanted to, you know, the, his, the ambitions that he had as a young man. He didn't think he could get far enough the last name of Finkelstein. Because Finkelstein sounds kind of funny. You know, maybe you can't make a joke out of it like some other name. You know, it's, it's not like, you know, <laughs> if you're a doctor and your last name is Payne, you know, it's, it's not like Dr. Payne. Like, it's not that funny. But, uh, you know, having a last name of Finkelstein, it's just, you know, Finkelstein. Like, that's not the, <laughs> that's not the, you know, the, the typical, uh, you know, Roberts or Jones or whatever kind of name that somebody has. Um, so, you know, so he literally changed his name because whether real or perceived, he, uh, you know, didn't want to be a victim of, well, let's call it what it is, white supremacy, or at the very least, European supremacy, which, you know, is basically one and the same there. So, so you know, so I, I have this strange that uh, background that I rarely ever think about like the number of times I've I've sat down to think about the fact that my grandfather changed his name from Finkelstein to Fielding like you know I could probably count on one hand maybe two the number of times I've like really deeply thought about this aspect of my family history but I hear this this you know story come out about base camp and how they had this list of funny sounding customer names and I'm like oh no no, that that does not fly with me. That does not fly with me at all. Like nobody should ever have a name that ends up on a list at some company somewhere that runs a service that that person uses. Like that's just so unbelievably wrong. And you know, it's it's not upsetting that that list was ever created in the first place cuz you know, maybe it's one of these things that somebody does cuz they're just being stupid and they don't know any better. But to have it, like, not get properly challenged and excised immediately as soon as someone in leadership realizes it's happening, it, like, you know, this list is going away now, and if you have anything to do with creating it or propagating it, if you don't stop it immediately, you're fired. Like, that, that's the kind of ban hammer that needs to come down at a company if, when something like this happens. And if, and if it started years ago, like, it should have ended years ago. This should have... I almost used a swear word there. It should have freaking ended <laughs> years ago. It should have ended as almost as soon as it began. So to have this list sort of float around somehow, and, and then very recently for this DEI group that had formed, for them to identify it and go, hey, why is this still a thing? You know, who's, who's, uh, who's still, you know, letting this float around here? We got to put it into it immediately. Um, that, you know, that's upsetting by itself, but then it gets worse. <laughs> uh, somebody, uh, I believe who was in this group, um, you know, in conjunction with talking about like, hey, why the heck is this list still exist? Um, uh, shared a graphic by, uh, I believe the Anti-Defamation League, 
uh, and it's a pyramid that shows, you know, kind of this bottom of the pyramid is like, oh, you know, somebody, uh, you know, is deemed to, you know, have, have, you know, some aspect of their ethnicity that's, you know, like, you know, make a crack about it, you know, some funny joke related to, you know, how they look or how they talk or what their name is or, you know, something like that. And, you know, seemingly innocuous, I guess, if you're in, you know, a group of people that are all friends and maybe they're just joking around about something, like whatever. But, you know, you kind of move up the pyramid towards the top and it gets more and more egregious and more and, you know, starts getting into violence. And you get basically get to the top of the pyramid and it's genocide. (laughs) So, you know, there's this sort of spectrum of of racial insensitivity that, you know, seemingly starts innocuous. But, you know, the more it goes unchallenged and the more it takes hold in a dominant culture, you know, it can eventually lead to, you know, such hatred of the other that they, that, you know, that, that group becomes victims of genocide. And, you know, I don't have any problem with that graphic. Like, it, it makes sense to me. I think it's a good way to present, like, you know, hey, all, all the things people are doing and they think they're not being racist and they think it's just a joke, like, it might be a joke to you, but it's not going to be a joke to someone else because <laughs> they may have a background in their family history or whatever where, you know, they their, uh, their culture were uh, victims of, you know, extreme racism and even genocide. And, you know, they, they know where things can lead. They, they have this history. They have this, this trauma, uh, you know, shared in their culture. And so, you know, they, they know where this stuff can go if left completely unchecked. So I don't have any problem with this graphic, but apparently somebody at base camp had a real problem with it. And I think either, either Jason Fried or, or DHH or maybe both, actually, I, I think maybe it was DHH in particular, uh, kind of freaked out about the graphic and said, this is ridiculous and this is false equivalence and blah, 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 and, and basically shut down the whole conversation after that graphic was shared. And then I guess people were upset about shutting down the conversation, so it spawned new conversations, and this whole thing kind of escalated. And all of a sudden, <laughs> when it started out where you have a group of people trying to find ways to bring more diversity, equality, and inclusion to Basecamp as a company, you know, in, instead of their efforts being rewarded, their efforts were shut down, and the company leaders were basically like, eh, that's it, we're, we're getting out of, you know, hot-button political topics here at the company, like, we're not going to talk about this stuff uh, on, uh, on any company channels, uh, you know, if you want to go to your own personal Twitter or blog and do whatever, fine, but it's not going to be here in our company, and we're only going to focus on things that affect our company directly, like, you know, privacy on the web or the app store or whatever. <sighs> I don't even know. I don't even know where to begin with how troubling I find that whole uh, line of thinking. Um, I've I've tweeted quite extensively at this point about how wrong I think that is, but... Um, you know, it doesn't really matter, again, what I think, <laughs> because it sure does matter what the employees of Basecamp think, because as of now, Basecamp has lost basically one-third of their workforce. A bunch of top lieutenants at their company resigned, and, 
it's gotten so bad so quickly that like there are people literally wondering if their products are you know if they can keep the light on for their products like they recently launched this this major new you know ambitious product called hey which is a gmail competitor it's it's you know Basecamp's uh email service that they uh you know did a whole lot of work on to make a splashy launch for it and, and, you know, convince everyone that this is going to change the world and make email great again and all this stuff. And, you know, we're left here wondering now, like, (laughs) is there anyone left to like run? Hey, (laughs) is there anyone left to, you know, make sure that uh, there's no uh, security breach and the backups are running and the the site's going to stay snappy and, I mean, it's crazy. It's crazy that in a week we can go from, you know, hey, cool company, DHH created Rails. Hey, is this awesome new product? Woohoo! To like, is Basecamp even a company anymore? So that is just shocking. Shocking to the extreme for any of us who have been following this company, who have been following, you know, startup entrepreneurship. Uh, you know, creating software for the web as a as an independent company, as a small company, like it's just shocking. But wait, it gets worse <laughs> because DHH is the original creator of Rails, but it's you know it's now become a much larger open source project with a whole core team and you know hundreds if not thousands of contributors and you know it's this whole uh, it's this whole community of of. Ruby developers and, 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 you know, people who rely on Rails for their livelihood and for their, for their own software, you know, because DHH is the figurehead of it all, like this, this whole thing happening with Basecamp has affected Rails. And now people are wondering, well, who's in charge of Rails? And is DHH really the, the BDFL, Benevolent Dictator for Life, which is sort of this nickname of, of open source projects where you have an original creator kind of, you know, they have the final say so and what happens even though it's open source. Um, you know, is DHH really the the BDFL here? And, you know, he legally owns the trademark to Rails. Like <laughs> he's it seems like he's he's the final say. He's he's the boss at the end of the day here. And and you know, with everything that's gone on with Basecamp and how horribly troubling that is and how deeply problematic it is w- with what's happened there, like can can we even justify being associated with Rails anymore? As as long as DHH is is the the head honcho there, and you know why don't we have a Rails foundation? Why why isn't Rails as an open source project, you know, run by some sort of you know, I don't know what you'd call it committee, <laughs> but DHH hates committees. Um, you know, like, why, why isn't there a governance model around Rails as an open source project, just like there is many other open source projects where, you know, no one individual is sort of the, the, the chief, the guru, the, the, you know, man at the top, whatever. Like, why don't we have a proper governance model for Rails? So now that whole conversation's been going on, and it's totally inconclusive. There's, you know, it's people arguing for, there's a surprising number of people arguing against which really bothers me. Um, the core teams basically come out and kind of clarified a little bit how their structure is set up. But as far as I can tell, like there, there's absolutely no process per se of, of curtailing DHH's influence or involvement. You know, if he wants to stay involved and, and kind of run things there and, you know, talk everyone else into going along with his program, like 
he has the ability to do that. <laughs> so, you know, this this past week, couple weeks, be, between the whole uh, story of what happened in the van life community and now what's, what's happened in the Ruby community, like, th- these are communities for me that are absolutely central to my day-to-day life, you know, as either a content creator or consumer, like both of these on their own individually would have been, you know, really challenging and upsetting for me. But for it to happen both together in such a short span of time, it just, it feels like the world's falling down. (laughs) It feels like everything's falling apart. And, you know, I, uh, I realize that for some of you listening here, like, you know, you, depending on, uh, on your background, you might know at least of one of the things I speak of, uh, or you might not know of any of them and just like, why am I listening to this episode about a bunch of stuff or I don't understand what it is, but I just wanted to tell you where I'm at because, uh, you know, as, as content creators, we have this sort of, um, you know, internal, uh, drive sort of, uh, sense of, of, uh, you know, like you get up and you get out there and you do your work and you create your content and you publish it and you get it out there and, and, you know, hopefully at least a few people enjoy it and give you feedback. And, you know, you have that kind of two-way dialogue with your audience and, and, you know, it's meaningful. It's, it's a, it's a really important and meaningful part of your life. And if there are creators that you follow and are really inspired by, like this, this, this is the stuff that makes life worth living and, and makes life, you know, fun and interesting. And, you know, if, if instead you get up and you're like, well, you know, what am I going to do today? Write some Ruby. Oh, right. Rails is disintegrating. Oh, well, maybe I'll go over to YouTube and watch some fan life people. Oh, like it's hard. It's really hard. What are you going to do? Like, what are you going to do with your life? (laughs) Who are you? What is, what is your identity? Uh, What tribe are you a part of? Like, you know, these sorts of deep existential questions aren't really the kind of things you want to just suddenly have to wrestle with, uh, you know, out of the blue. Uh, But, you know, things can happen. Things can happen out of the blue and suddenly you're left questioning, you know, why you're doing anything you're doing and what really is really important and what matters. So I don't know exactly what the answer is to that other than I think it is important to have you know, something foundational to your life that is bigger than just the particular tribe or community uh, you're in as a content creator. You know, you, you gotta, you gotta find something, you know, whether that's, uh, you know, religious or spiritual beliefs, whether that's, uh, you know, something, something else that, that you can hold on to, you know, family, friends, I don't know, some, something, something about your identity as a human uh, I think it's important to to try to to you know make sure that you have something that is beyond just what you're doing and what you're into. Because if it if that's all you have, you know, if if the only thing <laughs> keeping you going per se is is you know the fact that you're a Ruby on Rails developer or you're into van life stuff or whatever it might be, like something can happen and you're just like, whoa, whoa, my world is falling apart right now. And, and that's really tough. So 
So I hope and encourage you to, you know, to to look maybe look farther afield and and find some ways to to uh, decompress and to to relax and to find a place of equilibrium again. Uh, you know, thankfully I I live in a place that where there's lots of beautiful nature that's easily accessible nearby, and and that gives me solace. So that's why I was hiking around for several hours over the weekend and. and you know, trying to, trying to get some sense of peace again. Um, but whatever, you know, whatever things that you can maybe, uh, find in your life that are unrelated to your (laughs) particular, uh, area of, of professional or artistic expertise, you know, to, to, uh, you know, be able to, to step away from it if you need to. Uh, I think it's important to keep that in mind. All right, folks, uh, that's it for today's episode. Again, I apologize about how heavy it all was, but, um, you know, I, I just, there's no way for me to record an episode of Fresh Fusion talking about uh, being a content creator without talking about uh, the times like now where, uh, honestly, it's really hard to be a content creator, and it's really hard to, to figure out the right way to, to grapple with these these kinds of events that... that you know, just seemingly uh, come out of the blue and and really punch you in the gut. <laughs> so so thanks for you know thanks for being there alongside me as I process through this. And um, you know, again, if if uh, if there's anything in this episode that was hard for you to hear, that was triggering in some way, you know, please reach out to a loved one or a friend. Uh, you know, please uh, visit the resources I included in the show notes to help you and. As always, of course, you can email me directly, jared at jaredwhite.com, if you'd just like to chat. Or uh, follow me on Twitter, at Jared C. White. All right, thanks. Thanks for tuning in, and I will see you next time, hopefully on a happier note. (laughs) Bye, everybody.